I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Hey, so today's episode is going to be slightly different. I'm actually doing one of my distillations of someone, and today's going to be Toto Wolf. And so all the distillations are is each month I put out a long-form deep dive on someone I've learned from, uh, really admire, respect. So Toto Wolf, he's the CEO, team principal, and co-owner of the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team. Um, and what, what Toto has been able to do is just unprecedented. He has seven consecutive world championships. Uh, so he essentially is responsible for the most successful formula one team of all time, but he's not just about formula one. He's invested in many startup technologies. He's a exceptional investor. And that's actually how he started his career initially. And when I think of Toto, I, I think of this like Phoenix rise from the ash and he went through incredible trauma growing up. And it's remarkable what he's been able to achieve. So I'm going to start off with two quotes that I I just love. It gives such insights into Toto. And the first is, how you cope and behave in moments of failure is, in my opinion, the way you see right into the soul of somebody. Talk about intensity from someone. I mean, that that just speaks to, to Toto right there. And another one is, there is no silver bullet. No simpler answer to come up and the concept of life generally. You read all these inspirational quotes on Instagram and you're like, wow, I like that one and I'm going to take that on board. But there are many nuances and there is so much more than just a quote and there is just much more than black and white. Every situation is different. Every environment is different. You just need to have constant reflection of what's happening around you. You have to be mindful. You have to realize the dynamics within yourself, dynamics within the group that is around yourself, and the group of individuals that are responsible for making you look good are the ones that provide the performance to the team. That is very important. Wow, talk about like two insights with with these quotes into Toto. Um, And what I love is he understands life is messy and everything's not black and white. There's a lot of challenging opportunities and moments that, that we face. And, and so I just thought that was a great place to start. An- another quote he has is, my experience with high-performing individuals, that very last percentage of high performers is that they either suffer trauma or hum- humiliation or both because what would justify developing that above-average drive and ambition? And so this isn't one I necessarily agree with. I, I don't think everyone has to go through trauma or humiliation um, to succeed. But, but he's someone who who has, and, and he sees that in a lot of the people he's worked with. So, so let's start in the early years of Toto. So he was born in Vienna. Um, he's in his late 40s right now, and he was born to Polish and Austrian parents. And he's able to speak six languages, which just kind of shows how diverse uh, of a person he really is. And he, he has this interview, and this is, this is really funny, I think. And he says, well, all the parents that want their kids to be inspired should switch off now because there was not a lot of inspiring stuff early in my childhood. 
And, and so that really just shows you he, he did suffer great trauma and he was shaped by this trauma. And so when he was eight, his father was diagnosed with brain cancer. And it didn't make sense to him at that age as it shouldn't to someone so young. And so what ended up happening is his father actually stayed alive for right around another decade. And so Toto grew up with this. But what ended up happening, his his father was successful early on, but then got this this brain cancer. And it, it resulted in a divorce from his wife. Uh, he essentially couldn't take care of himself anymore. So all of a sudden, everyone became dependent on Toto. And he was thrown out in as this father figure uh, even before he was a teenager. And so that that's shaping him, um, the, the both his father getting brain cancer and then going on and eventually dying of brain cancer really shaped him. Um, and, and so what, what Toto thinks is important is you need to be accepting of your past. And he says, I'm trying to develop as a human being. Certainly, I'm working very hard on reducing childhood memories in real life today. I'm not any more than the boy that back in the day, and I don't need to carry so much baggage from the past into today's lives, but it's still there. It's still who I am. I acknowledge it. It makes no sense to try to ignore it because it is part of who I am, and that is sometimes difficult, but it's also important to just accept that. I like this. I think it's important to be able to accept our past, to be able to learn from it, and then be able to move on. And he also says that resilience is something that you need to remember at all times because when you face a difficult moment, you tend to dive into and the world's breaking down around you. But it's not actually. It's an opportunity to grow and to develop and to become stronger. But it is not natural instinct, and that natural instinct is to delve into and be sorry for yourself. So Toto understands that. He understands that most people end up feeling sorry for themselves, and not him though. <laughs> he, he, he views this as growth opportunity. And so he actually uses the analogy of skiing when thinking about difficult moments or facing anxiety. He says it's like anxiety. You need to go straight into it and face it. The more you try to avoid it, and this leaning back in skiing is like the avoidance on the back foot. It, it's what I say. It's always only going to make it worse. And leaning forward, going into things and facing the problem generally makes things easier. I 100% agree, right? Like avoidance isn't going to get us anywhere. It's, it's going to resurface at some point. We've got to dive right in and go into it. So so the next thing Toto talks about is the stopwatch never lies. Obviously, being involved in Formula One, it's all about the clock. And he benchmarks himself with that, that, that competitive mindset. And he says the stopwatch never lies. You can come up with lots of explanations why it went wrong or right, but in motor racing, you're either too slow or fast enough. And I love this. Um, it, it's so actionable, right? Like the, the stopwatch, either you won or you lost. And in business, he says, you can get away with things. And in politics, you can have explanations, but in sports, the explanations are not worth anything if you haven't won. Talk about a competitive mindset. And, and so when you look back um, or when looking back uh, on Toto, he, he says, I cannot answer that question. I think to decode or trace back how all that happened is difficult for yourself, and it's not something. I don't see myself at that stage of my life. It's kind of the time in an entrepreneurial life. I'm a sportsman where your first career ends at 35. So Toto was asked how, how he can decode, um, how he goes from having a dad who's suffering terminal illness to one of the most successful people in Formula One. And he actually says, you can't decode that. You can't look back. He says, I don't see myself at this stage of my life as somebody that has been successful. I mean, wow. So 
he, he's the most successful Formula One uh, team principal of all time. And he's basically saying he doesn't see himself as successful at that time. And so just think about that mindset. Uh, I see this a lot in other sports coaches. Um, I think of Nick Saban at Alabama. And you, you can see this, right? Like at the press conference after winning a championship, he's saying he's going to enjoy it tonight. But that next day, he, he's completely focused on the next season. And so I think it's really important to develop, to cultivate that mindset. Um, and so we want to talk about how Toto first got into racing. And he got involved in motorsports at the age of 17. Um, he saw a friend compete uh, over in Germany. And he thought that was so cool. And so he decided to, to start racing and doing that. But he had this eureka moment um, a few years in when the driver in front of him was sliding the car on the front wheels on the exit. And a natural reaction to compensate for what you're having there is oversteer. oversteer. And he realized that his technical skills wouldn't take him to the next level. Um, and that moment never left him. And he actually realized he, he would never be the greatest of all time doing that so he decided to actually leave and after um dropping out of vienna university um he founded one of the earliest tech focused venture capital firms in europe um and so he actually in in the late 1990s early 2000s right around the the dot-com bubble he started making uh, a lot of investments and so what he actually realized during that time is that he could use some of those mindsets he had learned from from motorsports and apply that into formula one and so you you think all right a shift from motorsports to investing and then he actually ends up coming back into motorsports again which we'll get into um but it's just kind of remarkable um that that he's quickly able to to dive right into that and so in 1996, he says, I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, Coleman, who is a partner, has taught me how to calculate margins as a matter of percentage on selling price. And within a year, I started to analyze how much the owner was going to make. I saw that I could earn more as a shareholder in the first year than as an employee. Like talk about epiphany moments, right? He realized that instead of showing up every single day uh, and being beholden to a clock and a paycheck, uh, actually, if he became a shareholder, an owner in the company, He'd earn a lot more than just being an employee. And he says he was so passionate about the investment business. He was like a sponge. Um, He constantly wanted to learn uh, more about tech, more about investing, more about business overall. And he understood at this stage, and that's where he cultivated his just due diligence process. Um, He understood everything about a company, that hard work, the, the little details, all of that went into his investment process. And with with that knowledge, he actually ended up going to the U.S. a lot, and he really started studying those those internet companies taking off. And he says, in the U.S., I'd read about these up-and-coming internet providers, search engines, and and mobile portals that gave free SMS access. And I wanted to see if they existed in Austria. And with this insight, he returned to to Vienna, and he actually realized that there was a, a big gap in the market there. And then less than two years later, he actually took a, a company, Jorgen Software Production, and he actually brought them public. I mean, you want to talk about just a meteoric quick rise, right? Like seeing a gap, entering a new market, and then bringing it back to a place where they're not doing that. I just thought that was exceptional from him. And and what I also like, so we were talking about this is all during the, the dot-com bubble. And in, in 2000, Toto had a massive windfall after selling a business with essentially no revenue revenue to a, a Dutch company. Um, so he made a tremendous amount of money, but he had another eureka moment. And it started thinking that when you're able to sell a business for hundreds of millions of dollars with no revenue, uh, something must be wrong. And so what he actually did at that time with that eureka moment is he sold nine of his uh, 
his venture firm's other investments. And two months later, what happened? Well, the dot-com bubble burst. And it's it's pretty remarkable that he was able to see something, really question some things from, from first principles, and then actually have the courage and conviction to exit those trades. And I just thought that was remarkable. It really shows who he is, not only in terms of character with courage, but also how intelligent he is. So we were talking earlier how he was able to, to jump from motorsports to entrepreneurship investing and then also back to motorsports. And he, he was asked, do you see yourself as an entrepreneur or do you see yourself in a different way? Now, now, just before we read this quote, just think about it. He is the most successful Formula One team principal of all time. And this is what he says. No, I see myself as an entrepreneur. That's what I've done for over 20 years, but I've reinvented myself twice. I had an investment background and an investment firm. I was somehow lucky enough to be able to combine the two worlds by being an investor in a racing team, combining the sporting side with the entrepreneurial side and the financial side. Wow, (laughs) right? Like he has that insight, like let me combine these things that I love, which was remarkable. And so in 2013, he was actually able to combine these two passions. Um, And so when he left his executive director position at Williams, which is another race team, he became the managing director partner at Mercedes. And with this move, he actually took a 30% stake within the company, uh, which is just remarkable. And one of the things that I I love about Toto is we ask how you think about success. And he says, for me, it's very easy. It's about winning Formula One world championships, right? Like there's so many people that they're striving for these small things, right? Like we just want to finish on the podium in one race, or we want to win the race. And he, nope, not for Toto. It's winning Formula One World Championships. He's striving for the top. And why not, right? Like if you're going to dream, dream big. And to, to show what that's like for him when he's at his best, he says, it doesn't feel so good actually because I'm already thinking about the next challenge, which as a life concept is not great because it doesn't make you cherish today a lot because it's, it's about time to celebrate or time to acknowledge an achievement. The skepticism kicks in about the next challenge ahead. Man, talk about like that, that drive to succeed, always pushing forward. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's the best approach, right? Um, you'd kind of hate to go through life and, and never be able to enjoy the moments, but it just gives you further insights into what type of competitor he is and who he is. And so we're, we're going to dive into his first day at Mercedes, and he's got this great story that that. I really think shapes into the environment he was going into and then how he's able to respond. So he says, the first day I walked in, I went, arrived at reception and sat down in reception and it didn't look like a Formula One team. There was an old daily mail on the table from the previous week and coffee cups with dry coffee. And I couldn't believe that this was the Mercedes one team. And now you may say how dry coffee cups or an old daily mail impact the performance of the Formula One team. And this is the key part here, guys. He says, but it shows an attitude. It shows attention to detail. And I think this is the most important for a high-tech team and all these soft factors that many will ignore because it's not data. It's not aerodynamics. It's not vehicle dynamics. It doesn't make a car faster. But all that is part of the values of the team. And if everybody runs in the same direction, everybody acknowledges that attention to detail is important. Then eventually the wheel is going to gain some momentum. And so that was my first experience of Mercedes F1. Wow, right? Like, let's go. Uh, he understands that this isn't just all data. I know he said earlier, it's, it's all about the stopwatch, but he understands there's these little components 
um, that make up a team and attention to detail is one of them and how people carry themselves and the environment you create. Oh, I just think this is so crucial. And what else does Toto look for? Like what are those character traits he looks for? And he says integrity, loyalty, respect for the individual, attention to detail, fanatical obsession with what you do and purpose. And then he goes on to say, I I could sit here for a half hour and name things that I'm looking for, but like those are the big drivers. And another thing that's important is understanding the ego, right? Like here's someone who has achieved the highest level of success. And so he's going to talk about ego here in a minute. And what he says is when you have cameras being pointed at you, there is the danger of the ego running away with you. You need to realize that. You need to be able to come back into your hotel room in the evening after a race or game, look in the mirror and say, I've been a little bit of a dick today. I got that one wrong. I think you can channel ego. Then he says, what is ego? Ego at the end is trying to be better. It's about getting recognition for what you do. It's about standing out, which again, in my opinion, sources from trauma and humiliation. Because if you're a pretty balanced guy, why would you want to stand out? It's about being happy, right? That is what it all comes down to. But why would you want to stand out? The ones that succeed, in my opinion, are the ones that recognize the danger of the ego carrying you away. People lift off from the floor. They think they are better. They think they're more important. It is very short-sighted. So he understands, right? Like when you win, that that ego is going to kick in, but you've got to be able to to look yourself in the mirror. Uh, In his words, just say, you've been a little bit of a dick today. Call out your blind spots. Say, I don't know. It takes humility. It takes courage. uh, It takes a lot of things, and I think it takes daily cultivation of those. And another thing Toto talks about is just ultimate transparency, and much like Ray Dalio at uh, Bridgewater does, you need ultimate transparency. If you're unwilling to speak those inconvenient truths, then a lot's going to go unsaid and unaccomplished. And and he does this, and he implements this within his team, within his organizations. And I think one of the keys to that is trust. And so how do you establish trust? And he says trust isn't established by words, clever sentences. Trust needs action. Trust happens or grows in those difficult moments when the other person realizes they can rely on you because you haven't let them down. Wow. Like, oh, man, he understands the critical component. And it's funny. Like, you study all the greatest businesses, the greatest teams, whatever it is, over time. And what's a, what's a factor? What's a component? Psychological safety. That's trust. And so he understands that. He understands for all of this to work and to play out correctly, you need trust. Oh, I love that. So we can kind of see what type of leader he is. So how would Toto describe himself as a leader? And he says it's always a very slippery slope if you start to describe your own leadership style. Uh, I, I just think that's 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 hilarious, but actually also true, right? Like leadership is, is about how, how others are, are viewing you and what you do for them. So it's not necessarily how you say you're a great leader. And he also says, I, I struggle to discuss leadership because I believe that in successful organizations, everybody must take responsibility and be accountable for decisions. So there's never one leader, but many. Oh, this is so good, right? Like everyone in an organization has to understand at a certain point in time, they are a leader within their own role. And he understands this. And I think it gets back to being able to empower others. And so he says, we all have the same attitude about being loyal and transparent in our actions. We always stick with the truth, empower each other, and have a no-blame culture. To be successful as an organization, you must live and breathe these values every single day rather than just writing them on a chart on the wall. Oh, like so many 
companies now, right? It's like, we've got the, these great values. We, we say we live them. They're up on the wall. They look beautiful. They sound great. They're awesome on our website. But are you actually living them? And I think that's that's the key, right? Like you can quickly see within a company, within a team, within an organization, if people actually live the values, if they live this, if they speak truth. I just think that's so cool. And another thing that he talks about, we were just saying, everyone is a leader at some point in time. And a skill that's required, and he says, is empathy. Interest in the people you manage, an understanding of their individual strengths and weaknesses, an understanding of empowerment and standing by those values. Yeah, I mean, the the way people rise up, I'm not not just talking about like hierarchically in an organization. I'm just talking about like even self-motivation. It sometimes is just about someone else giving you power, empowering the individual, right? Like highlighting strengths, uncovering some weaknesses for them. Um, and I think that also gets down to relationships. And relationships are just so key, right? Like any organization, any team, it's all about the people. And Toto thinks about this frequently. Um, and he understands that it's not just interacting with just your direct report. It's about the entire team, the whole scope of the organization and being able to interact with everyone. Um, that's what drives these people, right? Like you want to feel part of something. And he says that most people spend time focusing on their own lives, trying to see how they can impact the organization. They try to uncover the impact they want to have, how they should organize their time, what incentives they are drawn to. And Toto thinks we need to put the same amount of effort and time into analyzing the needs of the people we work with. Talk about humility, right? Like not only humility, sorry, I mean empathy, understanding the other person, Wow, I, I just think that's so good. It's it's one of those things that might be a buzzword or not get talked about enough even sometimes. But empathy is, is really about like feeling and seeing through the perspective of others. And that also takes patience, right? Like all of this takes patience. This is hard. This isn't done overnight. And he says, I think when you would ask the people that work with me, they would say I'm impatient because I want things to change now. I'm exercising pressure to the point where I think it's helpful and not beyond. I get on with things if I want to solve a problem. I pick up the phone. There's no postponement of any action. Oh, let's just pause there. There's no postponement of any action, right? Like we need a bias for action. I just think that's great. He goes on to say, but on the other side, life has proven to me that sometimes the things that you want to achieve also need patience. And I enjoy that. Wow. Right? Like too often we're we're stuck in one of those go, go, go mentalities and trying to be productive for productivity's sake. And I think it's so crucial. I, the, the, the mental model I think through is slow down to speed up. And when we can kind of step back, analyze things from a higher perspective in the long run, we actually end up going faster. And I just think that's so crucial. I love how he highlights here. And he understands like that self-discipline being built up over time. That's just going to continue to, to compound. And, and Toto, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, really focuses on the process. And he says, we have this concept of the day we fail is the day that our competitors will regret because you come away from a race saying, why the hell did we win? Everybody is in a mood of satisfaction when you win. Of course, you analyze and you look at things, but you've done a good job. The car is good. Everybody has worked. But when you lose, you go away and say, why the heck did we lose? What went wrong? And you analyze in much more depth. And because our hamster will run so fast, there's one race after the other. You need to be pretty quick with that. So our meetings on Monday, the debrief is pretty straightforward. And what I tried to put in many years ago was that the leaders need to be able to come out with what they did wrong. And only then, the organization, we learned that it's actually true that we are never blaming the person, but the process where we need to optimize. 
And it's still something that I just had situation today where I realized that someone didn't speak up and I encouraged him to speak up. I actually told the person, I see it as you owe it to the company to speak up because if you don't, you damage us in our performance. So right there, right? Like giving people the empowerment and trust to be able to speak up, but it starts with leadership. Like you've got to admit when you were wrong, call out your mistakes. And this isn't just when you lose, almost more importantly, when you win. There's always ability to get better, to understand mistakes, and that happens both in losses and in win. So he highlights this. It's just so crucial. And he was asked how much of the success over the past seven years, remember seven championships, has come down to the people versus the process. Now, this is really insightful. He says in his great Austrian accent, 100% people because people make processes. Oh, it's so true, right? Like you can have the best process in the world, but if the people aren't bought in, if they don't have trust, if they don't have some of these other factors we talked about, it doesn't matter. And he actually, it's kind of funny. He hasn't delved too much into this um, around some of the the unique, let's call them out there insights, but he he brings up a, a study of a thousand people meditating and their scientific studies that there's an aura and that everybody pulls their energy in the same direction. And those important character traits, he, he talks about this like the Obi-Wan Kenobi speaking about force. So and meditating doesn't just make the car faster. And that's obviously like down to data, but he finds it really fascinating when everyone within the team and organization are bought in and in the same mind space in terms of what they're working with. And so we, we think about this process, we think about those people, and, and he believes that it starts with one, right? Like that one person saying, I don't know, that one person leading a little bit better, that one person paying a little bit more attention to detail, well, that then creates a, a, tr- a chain reaction, right? Like all of a sudden, everyone else within the organization starts seeing that one person do it, and they start holding themselves a little bit more accountable. And so he he talks about, once again, you need to be able to recognize your own mistakes and your own failures, and that is going to make it possible for you to assess them and avoid them in the future and grow. And that is something which we really working hard within the teams to have the ability of pointing out that problem, blaming a decision or blaming a situation rather than blaming a single individual. Once again, creating more space here. And so let's dive here into hiring and and what Toto thinks about and and how he goes about this. And so we ask, are, are there any key questions in your recruiting process? He says, there's no killer question. I look in the eyes and if somebody is authentic and humble enough while being ambitious, you feel that. You sense that the person is the missing link for that for that position. And I'm, I'm assuming there, there's plenty of people listening. It's like, nope, well, I, you know, that's like an intangible. And I'm not going to lie. Like we, we can be in the room with someone and just be like, wow, that person, that woman, that guy, they have it. Like they just have it. I don't, I don't It's an intangible. And I actually like that he highlights this. And it's a big factor for him. And at the same time, though, um, we have to understand when we can be late or, or astray in, in our hiring practices. And he definitely has. And the organization actually made a mistake. He says we, we often look too much to some of those credentials, like what school did you graduate from? And this is actually like really important to Toto. And so today he's actually really pushing hard for diversity within the team and looking for diversity of opinion. That's the key thing here, diversity of thought and opinion. And they actually have a, a new STEM education program for, for children that never had access to STEM education. So hopefully they can, they can get involved in Formula One in that way. 
And what ended up happening actually is when they were talking about some of these things, right? Like all of a sudden look too much to credentials. And Toto says to the team, he goes, you never would have hired me. Um, he, he never had any of those credentials. He wasn't the student, he, student that they would have looked for. He wouldn't have graduated from top universities. I mean, he didn't graduate from top universities. And so you have to understand that, um, that you obviously are, are looking for the best people, but so much of it is diversity of thought. Um, I, I just think this is so important. And so I just love that he highlights this. So what are, what are the three non-negotiables that the people around him within the organization must buy into? And he says, the three are, number one, never lie. Number two, don't bullshit me. Number three, be authentic with all your weaknesses and strengths because even your weaknesses can contribute. Oh, this is great. Now let's dive into the the saying Toto loves and implements throughout the team. And that's see it, say it, fix it. I love that. It's like the, the best leaders, um, they create this language, this common language. And it's easy for people to remember to be able to, to do often and to say and to implement. And so what this does is this empowers everyone. Think about it. See it, say it, fix it. If you see something um, that needs to get changed, needs to get fixed, you have an obligation to say it and to fix it. Um, and he says, we've worked so hard over all these years to achieve a situation where we have a collective organization that is able to bring their inputs and their innovation to the table through hierarchies. The head of the department must not be worried if one of the workers below him presents something to a manager high up. Oh, this is great, right? Like even people lower in the organization, they have an obligation to bring about things to everyone. Uh, I think that's so important where people feel empowered like we've talked about. But it also keeps people on their toes, right? Like just because you're high up doesn't mean you can't be wrong. And he always obviously talks about this starts with the leaders. And it's a culture that is always skeptical and that they always believe they're not good enough. And they have to stay on their toes and maintain that and continue to drive that in order to have more success in the the future. And so one of the things that Toto also talks about in this distillation is how to manage the emotional investment in the team and remain balanced. And he says, at times, we just need to understand that we're all having bad days or bad weeks or bad months where we need to spend time with ourselves and comprehend what makes us happy. And he says, I think reflection helps you to understand how you want to structure your life. Um, And so he says, it's more that I acknowledge that all the best people that I've worked with have downtime and they have a great group around them. The group will carry the ball. For me, that was last year. COVID came and I didn't really know whether I wanted to continue in the sport, whether I was a one-trick pony or finance was what I actually wanted to come back to. For months, I couldn't find an answer to my questions. And obviously, then you're not going to be your best self. So in order to protect your organization, in order to create the best possible framework, you need to look after yourself. If I'm not in a good place, I can't. And this is something that my technical director used when I said, I'm just not the best me and I will come back in a few days. And he said, Take all the time because when you come back, you need to sprinkle your magic dust. If you don't feel like you can at that moment, that's okay. We will carry the ball. And that is something that I found really assuring and showed me that the organization that we have all been part of is really strong. If you need to put yourself out for a moment, someone else is going to carry the ball. Wow, so many amazing things. First off, like self-reflection, being introspective, being able to understand when you're not operating at your best and also giving yourself that ability to step away to take some time, awesome. So insightful. It's something I try to do. It's something that's really important. And I think if you study anyone, anyone who's achieved success over the long term, they do this. But it's also 
great to hear about the other people in the organization, not only that they are capable, which is important, that they'll carry the ball for you, but they actually are saying, you know what, yes, take this time. It's important. They understand the importance too. It's not just something that Toto understands. Everyone does. And one of the things that that we need to do is we need to switch off. We need to recharge. And this is really insightful. And, and Toto says that staring at a screen sucks his energy and is not good for him. I'm actually the same way. It's, it's a reason I actually about, I don't know, two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, stopped going on Instagram. Um, and, and Toto says he loves long airplane flights because he can sit there for 10 plus hours just staring at the ceiling and thinking. He, he enjoys reading finance books that give him a different perspective. He enjoys spending time with intelligent people who can learn and develop um, or he can develop from. And he thinks developing a new understanding from someone is much more interesting than staring at someone's Instagram post. Um, he says he's not interested at looking at someone else's life. Wow. You, just think about the, the number of unique insights that he does here to, to recharge, right? Like I can just sit there for 10 plus hours and stare at the ceiling thinking. First off, thinking time is, is just so important. And he even says, I, I've had 20 hour journey back from Australia. I haven't listened to a single song. I haven't watched a single movie. I haven't read a single page in a book. I've just been there with myself and wrote down notes. I think it's a competitive advantage. If you look at all the distractions that we're having every day today, you can see it in an airport lounge that people that have a minute of peace, they grab their phone, they look at social media, they flip through some pictures rather than just thinking. I've been saying that to my teenage kids. Don't distract yourself with something that doesn't bring you anything. Of course, looking at a couple of Instagram pictures of your friends is good fun, but we lack the time for reflection. I encourage everybody on the campus here to take a walk. You don't see that in the camera, but take a walk out there rather than surf the internet. I put my feet on the table and I look outside and people come in and say, do you have a minute? And I say, no, I'm busy. With all these things flying at us every day, with all these channels that distract us, that will be a crucial competitive advantage in the future. I think being able to activate that thing rather than stimulating it with external channels. Oh man, this is so good, right? Like he understands the, the drain on time, on energy, when we quickly just jump back and forth from things. I think about Cal Newport's great book, Deep Work, that talks about this. You gotta get in this zone of deep work, uninterrupted, deep thought, w- without distraction, it's so key. And he, he his ability just to be able to, to think and sit there, he realizes the more he does this, the more better thinking it leads to. And another thing he we mentioned a minute ago, he enjoys spending time with intelligent people he can learn and develop from. It gets back to saying, I don't know, being willing to embrace the unknown, right? Like learning from people who know more than you. It's not about ego. It's not, look how smart I am. It's, it's hey, I don't know. What can I learn from you? And that's one of the reasons he's been able to conquer multiple domains. Um, I just think that's so important. And one that he, like Toto said, he views as a competitive advantage. He says, I enjoy listening and observing. And I see myself on a trip of permanent development. Ah. Uh, right? Like all the best investors, entrepreneurs, lifelong learners right there. He's just openly coming out and saying it. He is on a trip of permanent development. Oh, this is so good. And within that reflection, that introspective ability, um, you need to be able to recognize your shortcomings. And he says, I I think there's more listening to myself. I'm very skeptical about my own achievements and generally very skeptical of whether what we do is good enough. But then I have great confidence in the people on my team, right? Like, so he's understanding that he can't do everything and that you need great people to pick up your slack. And one of the keys with hiring is being able to understand what you do well, but importantly, what you don't do well and who are those people who can execute and deliver on that. 
And I, I just think that's, that's so important. And one of, one of the funny things he talks about is having a spouse who will challenge you. Um, because so many people are, are first off afraid to be challenged, but then people below them are afraid to challenge them. And he says, you need to have challenge at home. You need to have a sparring partner at home that is able to point out your own deficits. I love this because, uh, my wife is great at this, right? Like just shooting holes in my thinking and really challenging me. And so I think that's really important. So he says, I try to generally have people around me to tell me, no, my wife is clearly the best sparring partner because we spend a lot of time with each other. And she tells me no all the time, but she does it in a very clear way. She fights the battles that are necessary and she lets me wins the ones that are not important. Oh, this is like just, I, I think it's always insightful when you see home life and what that's like for people. And Toto's wife is also a team principal within F1 and incredibly successful successful in her own right. So she, she's a pretty remarkable sparring partner just to begin with. And so we think about so many of these things that he's been able to do, and it gets down to target setting. And he says, I'm a big believer of target setting because it reminds you every single day of what you actually want to achieve. It takes away all the clutter, all the noise. And so he sets up guardrails to control both the long term and the short term. He does this by setting metrics around and checkpoints, you know, like key stakeholders as well who can hold him accountable. And so that's just so important, right? Like so many times we set these goals, we want to do these things, but do we have anyone who's holding us accountable and who's checking in? And so he says, you need to wake up in the morning with a sense of purpose and clear objectives. That keeps you going. Oh my gosh, so crucial. You study anyone throughout history uh, who's achieved success throughout the long term. I also, I think often about Napoleon Hill, who wrote this in the early, early 1900s, when talking to people like Andrew Carnegie, and he studied 300 of the most successful people, and the way he worded it, everyone had a definite purpose in life. Toto's the same way, right? Like, what are you going after? You, you need to know that, um, because once you know that, then you'll be able to overcome anything. You know, Dr. Michael Gervais said on this show, if, if purpose is bigger than pain, then purpose wins, but if pain is bigger than purpose, then pain wins. So- how big is your purpose? What are you going after? And so he does this. Um, he gets it clear in his mind. He, he has those, those targets, those benchmarks. Uh, and so he says, if you set the right targets, it is the targets that are achievable because you shouldn't set targets that aren't achievable because you'll make yourself frustrated. You need to set them high and you need to develop a blueprint of your target. And I think if you can really imagine how it feels to achieve that target, you will initiate all the right steps in order to achieve that target. Oh my gosh, this like hits on so many important things that people don't always think about. They think about like, all right, what's my goal? Well, he's revisiting these goals every single day. He's thinking about it. He's visualizing it. He says you have to feel or how it feels to achieve that target. Like the internal bodily emotions that achieving something, it it does something totally different to you. And I think that's just so important um, to be able to do that. And obviously, like he's externalized the goals, and he actually writes them uh, on a piece of paper, both his, his personal and his business goals. And so he's he's not necessarily always just pulling it out nonstop, but o- over the year, you'd be surprised how many times that that you're pulling this piece of paper out and understanding what your your goals are in life, both both pu- public or, or private, and then also the business ones. And he thinks that's important, right? Like you can't just have business goals. Why would you not have p- personal goals? I wish this was something that received more attention in time, right? Like those relationships, we're always thinking about like how to become more productive in business, right? Like how to become more successful entrepreneur, a better investor, or how to become a better athlete. It's like, what about those people? What about about your family? How are you developing goals for that? And so I'm a believer that as well, right? Like it's not about just these goals within business. 
just as importantly, and I actually would say more importantly, are, are the goals that we're going to have at, at home. And I, I just think that that's an important place for, for people to spend some time on. And so let, let's dive now into another component uh, of what you can expect for people that work with him. And here we says adaptability, right? Like being able to adapt to change because like Darwin, Darwin's principle, it's not about the survival of the strongest, but it's the most adaptable. And we learn uh, the most from our, our worst days, he say, says. And I, I, don't, I don't know anyone who doesn't see adaptability as crucial. And so understand that, right? Like embrace the unknown, the discomfort, the change, all, all of those ends, right? Like the change, they're just leading to new beginnings, beginnings. So I think it's important that he highlights this. And within that, like it's not always that, that people are in agreement there. And that's going to also result in like some, some internal team conflict and sometimes getting people to change their, their models of the world, their assumptions, their mental models. That's the hardest thing to do, but the most important thing. Um, the way I think about this is think, think of a filing cabinet, right? You, you can have a very good filing cabinet. Um, but maybe that filing cabinet, meaning your assumptions or mental models becomes outdated and you might be able to pile, or you can try to pile on as much new information as possible, new stats, new statistics, new knowledge. But if if that filing cabinet, if those assumptions, those mental models, if if that's broken, if that's outdated, then bringing on new information is irrelevant. It's actually a worse thing to do. So I think that's just a good way to understand um, the importance there of questioning your assumptions and, and dealing with that inner team conflict. This is something Toto knows well, right? Like two two of the legendary stars, Lewis Hamilton, who, who's still on the team, and then Nico Rosberg. And so this was, I think, 2014 through 2016 seasons. And they were really, really struggling. Like two guys, especially F1, there's two drivers, right? Driving the same car. And so these are combative type of relationships. And one of the things he says to handle conflict, not one of the things, a few of the things he says to handle conflict is what, what you should do is, is you need to go straight into conflict mode. And he does this by saying, why is this person's opinion different than mine? Oh my gosh, right? Like being able to understand other people. Why is this person's opinion different than mine? And then he says, what viewpoint are they coming from? What are their mental models? What are their assumptions? Empathy gets back to it, right? Like understanding the other person. Um, what is their objective in this conversation? So many times people have different objectives. Certain times people just want to display their power. They just want to win an argument. Other times people care about the solution. You need to know what the objective of the conversation is. And then how is it different than mine? Once again, it gets back to empathy. How is, is this person's viewpoint is where they're coming from? How is this different than mine? And when we can understand that, we can reach common ground. We can reach resolutions, even if it's about two drivers departing, right? And like going their separate ways, but at least you can work through it. And working in, in, with difficult people is something we're all going to experience at some point. And what he says actually is really funny. He says, um, I've seen a few exceptional people in business life, chief executive officers or engineers, bankers that have been really mind-blowing. And he says, none of them have been easy characters. All of them had had complexities to the personality that you have to understand in order to deal with. But with sports, people are different because you're only as good as your last race. The pressure is enormous. Nobody else can really help you in that moment. Wow, <laughs> like it's pretty remarkable the amount of people he's been able to work with, be around, and how much he commends these athletes. Um, man, I just think that's that's kind of unique insight. Um, and he loves working with difficult people, and I think that's one of the reasons he he likes the environment of Formula One. It's constantly challenging him, um, questioning his assumptions, making sure he's reinventing himself, staying on his toes. Um, and so 
thinking about like staying on your toes, re- reinventing yourself, thinking about that for others, right? Like when you're working with others and asked, do you think it's necessary to push yourself to the edge to be a high performer? And he says, absolutely, absolutely. I think, why can someone push himself or herself to these edges to have failure and cope with it and stand up and become stronger, drive a car on the edge, risking your life? Because unfortunately today, you don't see this through the cameras anymore, but it's really risking your life. And you go get up in the morning and train all day, push yourself to the limits, have the discipline in your daily activities, in nutrition and training and sleeping, finding out how you function best in the constant pressure against being measured with your peers. You know that is real, real skill, and it's a combination of nature and nurture, but there are only a handful of boats, and that is the reason. Right? Like, oh man, he he just talks about like what that all encapsulates, and I think that's just so good. Uh, Another thing he thinks about, a a way he views things, is very similar to to Ray Dalio's. I know we, we mentioned Dalio a little bit earlier, and so Toto's is failure plus reflection equals progress. And Dalio's is pain plus reflection equals progress. And he understands this, right? Like failure is a necessary component if and only if you use that to reflect on it, to understand what went wrong, how you can get better, what you did well, that leads to progress. I I wish this was a mindset and understanding that was instilled in us earlier, right? Like failure is necessary if and only if you use that to learn, and that leads to progress. And with those failures, I mean, that that requires brutal honesty, right? Like that reflection process. So many times we we might get lucky in life um, or an outcome is, is lucky, and the process was actually completely flawed, right? Like we made the wrong decision and it just happened to work out. And so he says, I'm brutally honest with myself every day. In the evening, looking in the mirror, washing my face, brushing my teeth, I judge myself and I say, how was I today? Where do you think there is room for improvement? And I would look at the positive in the same way I look at the negatives. So crucial, right? Like not only looking at the positives, but the negatives. Where can you improve? What could you do better? And that's just awesome. And then he has another quote, kind of shed some light on this. And he says, it has probably been part of my upbringing. Always expect the worst. There are no pro- positive surprises. There's only the risk of failure. And that is something that has followed me all my life. Oh, he understands that failure is always right there. It's always right there, so close. Things can change so quickly, and he understands that. And so then he was asked, what is failure for you? And he says, I think that little failures happen throughout your whole life, but my concept is that at the end, when I sum it all up, it should be a success. It's not about trying to grab every bit of success that's on your way. It's about long-term success. It's about adding up all the dots. You have a constant long-term upward slope with all the little setbacks that are necessary. Oh, so true, right? Like people think there, there's just these, these linear progress um, where it's just success, 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 success. And that does not happen at all. There's failures, there's setbacks, but understanding directionally, are you going in the right place? And he understands this over the long term. Uh, I just think that that is crucial. This one is one I love. And he was asked, how important is legacy to you? And once again, in that just incredible Austrian accent and the way only Toto can say it, he goes, zero importance. I live in the now. I try and I try to be better tomorrow than today. Nobody is interested in anybody else's legacy. Oh, right? Like so many times you hear these people, they're like, oh, I care so much about legacy. Nope, zero importance. 
he lives in the now. It gets back to that mindset, right? Like almost that, that meditation-esque, be-in-the-moment mindset. He understands it's all about the here and now. Uh, I, I just wish more people had that approach, that understanding. And, and so as we wrap this up, what advice would, would Toto give to a teenage Togo, Toto? And he says, it's a difficult one because I made all the mistakes that you could probably make and every single one was important. And if you open up your first chapter of your professional life, you shouldn't look at someone who's in their 30th chapter because you need the in-between to learn. If there was one piece of advice that I would give, it would be to find out where your skill is and what you enjoy doing. And even if it's not clear what that could be in terms of a job, eventually you'll find out. Oh, such a, such a great place to, to wrap up here to just get a little bit more understanding, right? Like don't judge yourself on the someone who's 30 years past you or 20 years past you. Where are you now? And start there. It's just so crucial. So the final thing I will leave you here with is just one more great phrase from Toto. And I, I hope you take this phrase, you resonate on it, and then you use it. So it is trying to master yourself and your life is the ultimate challenge. Oh, so good, Toto. Once again, it is. It's the ultimate challenge. So I, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode, this distillation of Toto Wolf. Remember, this is online. So I put this out once a month. Um, it's way more in depth than what you just heard here. Right around, it's usually right around ten thousand words. Um, so it is a very deep dive into someone I've learned from. There's amazing quotes, stories shared, lessons along the way. Now, all of this can be found at whatgotyouthere.com. So once again, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and this distillation of Total Wolf. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.